How do we see Jesus? Will you choose to believe? God sees. He sees who others miss, the unnoticed, the unacknowledged, the undervalued, and the unloved. He saw Mary, a poor teenage girl from an ordinary family in a town so insignificant that people asked whether anything good could ever come out of Nazareth. And he sees you. Would you take a moment to let that truth sink in? God sees you. Yes, you, right now. Your heart, your worries, your circumstances, and the number of hairs on your head. And God yearns for you to see him, to notice him, to acknowledge him, to value him, and to love him. And that's why he sent Jesus as the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. He was God with skin. But how? How do we see Jesus? Mary shows us how. After 400 years of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament, the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary. He told her that God had highly favored her above all women to be the mother of the long-awaited Messiah. And how does Mary respond to this astounding, seemingly impossible news? She believes. And unlike Mary, when the angel said Sarah would birth a son, even though she was postmenopausal, she laughed. And when the angel appeared to Zacharias to tell him that he and his wife, Elizabeth, would have a son in their old age, his unbelief was so displeasing that God struck him dumb until the prophecy came true. But Mary believed. And God bestowed great honor upon Mary to birth Jesus, the one whose kingdom would have no end. But it would also cost her dearly. The scandalous news of her pregnancy outside of marriage would forever ruin her virtuous reputation in Nazareth and beyond. How could she ever explain a Holy Spirit conception to Joseph? Would Joseph break off their betrothal? But even as Mary wondered who would believe her, she chose to believe God. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Why was Mary so highly favored and blessed above all women? Because she believed. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. Notice the order. Mary believed first, then God fulfilled the promise, not the other way around. Before she ever conceived, she saw Jesus because she chose to believe. Believing Jesus precedes seeing Jesus. John 20, verse 29 Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. If you're able to kneel with me for prayer, will you do so?
Dear Heavenly Father, we acknowledge that you are the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. You are the light in the darkness. And we just thank you for this Advent season, that you are the most, that Jesus is the most wonderful, perfect gift that we could ever receive. And I just pray, Lord, that our hearts would be open this morning to receive the gift that you have for us. The gift of salvation, the gift of um, Jesus, the gift of your word, Lord. Thank you for this morning and that we could be gathered here in this place and um, in our homes, Lord, observing the, the um, service this morning. I pray for Conrad as he delivers the word that you've given him. I pray, Lord, for your peace to be upon him. Lord, I pray for um, just a, a sense of, of calm and, um, and assurance that your presence is with him, that you love him, that you are going to speak through him this morning. So may he keep his eyes fixed and focused on you. May he um, deliver this word, Lord, with courage and boldness in his spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. I greet you in Jesus' name, those of you who are with us this morning in the sanctuary and those of you who are present at home or will be present online later uh, for the service this morning. I'm going to read this morning from Luke, 8, Luke 2, verses 8 to 20. And so if you have your Bibles and wish to turn, or if you wish to just listen, um, Luke 2, actually I'm going to read from Luke 1, 2, 1 to 20. I'll start at the beginning of the chapter of Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 20. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, 
Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. I don't know if you've ever thought about how sort of odd it is that St. Luke writes and uses seven verses to introduce us to the baby Jesus. This is, in fact, the most descriptive account of the coming of our Savior that we have in the Scriptures. But he only uses seven verses to do it. And then he spends 13 verses on the shepherds. He spends seven verses introducing us to Jesus, this one that God's people had waited for for thousands of years, about whom many, many prophecies had been spoken and written. That through those 400 years of desert and barrenness and silence before his coming, they were anticipating the Messiah, and yet Luke uses twice the number of verses almost to describe the shepherd's response as he does Jesus' coming. This should be our first clue that the Messiah's coming was less about him than it was about us. This should be our first clue that the Messiah's coming was less about him than about us. Less about him receiving attention than about God and Christ finally being present to invite us to know him, to be loved by him, to find rest in him. It was about us, his lost children, finally being, for the first time since Eden, being able to meet God face to face. This was not his opportunity. This was our opportunity. He came for us. For Jesus' coming was God's invitation to show, for us to show up and to meet him in a deep, deep personal way. One of my favorite readings this time of year comes from Rufus Jones, and I'm going to read it. And um, I just ask you to hang in there with me while I read through this, because it's getting to this point that if we celebrate Christmas and the coming of Jesus apart from a personal response to that, then it is, it is simply a dry and barren celebration. It is nothing. So listen with me as, as he describes this. It is a primary truth of Christianity that God reaches us directly. God reaches you and me directly. None of us is insulated. As oceans flood the inlets, as sunlight environs the plant, so God enfolds and enwreaths our spirits. There is a difference, however, because inlet and plant are penetrated by the sun or the water, whether they will or not. But not so with God. God can only be received through our appreciation and conscious appropriation. That means our taking in of him to ourselves. He comes only through doors that are purposely opened for him. I repeat that. He comes only through doors that are purposely opened for him. A person may live as near God as the bubble is to the ocean and yet not find him. He may be closer than breathing, nearer than hands or feet, and still be missed. 
Historical Christianity, the Christianity that you and I embrace, historical Christianity is dry and formal. Is dry and formal when it lacks the immediate and inward response to Jesus. But our spirits are trained to know him, to appreciate him. A person's spiritual life is always smaller or dwarfed when cut apart from history. Mysticism is empty unless it is enriched by outward and historical revelation. That is, our relationship with Jesus has to be connected to the story, but the story has to be connected to us. We have to believe this story, but we also have to not only believe, we have to respond to the story. And that's what happens in, this, in, in the Luke 2. It's why I think Luke spends 13 verses on the shepherd's response and seven on introducing Jesus to us. Because Luke wants us to understand that this is an opportunity for us to finally respond to God in a way we've never responded before because he has come to us. He is present of us. Rufus Jones closes with this statement, this sentence, the supreme, the supreme education of the soul comes through an intimate acquaintance with Jesus. The supreme education of the soul comes through an intimate acquaintance with Jesus. If we want to really celebrate this Christmas, if we want to experience this Christmas, it demands, requires a response, a personal response in our lives. This king, the Messiah, born in Bethlehem, was going to be a very different king indeed. If you've watched any films, movies about the monarchies of England in particular, you know that this is the way Christ came is not the way royalty comes into the world. Christ did not come as royalty, as earthly royalty comes into the world. When a new prince or princess is about to be born, the news is proclaimed across the world. The entire nation celebrates the newborn child. But it's about the child, not about the child's coming for them. It's about the celebration of this, of this monarchy, of the crown, of, of, the, of this almost deity that has come. Did Luke have nothing more to tell us about Jesus' birth that night? Luke, who's so very descriptive as a physician, always takes in more detail, gives more detail than the other gospel writers. So was it that he had nothing more to tell us about that night? What Jesus looked like when he showed up? How he slept that first night? What his parents were feeling that night? No, I'm sure there was much more Luke knew about that story. But Luke was too excited about the good news that the baby's coming was for us. Luke was too excited that the baby's coming was for us. For those who have been walking in darkness for far too long have now received the great light. For those of us in the land of the shadow of death, a light has finally come. That's the good news. That it is, it is for us that Christ came. For, for us who God so loved and so loves still. Luke wants us to know that the good, this good news of the gospel is for us and for the entire world. That God's coming in Christ was about ruling and reigning, of course, and about the kingdom of God. But it was as if it was almost more so about God providing in this moment his presence to us who needed him so desperately. Who in these dark nights on the hills needed to know that there was, a, there was good news of God's coming through Christ. 
From the very moment of his coming, Jesus was a gift to us and for us. That was God's intent. I don't think those shepherds went to the manger out of a sense of obligation. Oh, we have to go. Let's, let's leave the sheep. We were having so much fun on these hills. No, they, they, I, everything about this passage suggests they ran, that, they, that they, they hustled over, that this was a recognition that this was good news for them. We don't come to God out of obligation. If we do, then that's the wrong. Then we, if we come to God out of obligation, we just don't know who God is. We just haven't gotten it. If we think this is, we're coming to him out of duty, we've missed the point of who he is. Because when we know who he is, we run to him with joy, with gratitude. So often you and I try to find our validation, most of the time, in fact, of who we are as people in others and in other things. How often we determine our worth by how others respond to us, by what we do, by what they say to us. This, this affirmation of others can become a kind of addiction that we continue to look for on and on and on. The words of others, their affirmation for us becomes a kind of drug that gives us a high when we receive it and depresses us when we don't. But what we are really longing for in all of that, what we really want is the divine affirmation of God. That we are good enough that our creator loves us as we are, that he called us good when he created us. That's what we're longing for. That's what our hearts desire from the time we are born. Oh, how we long to know that we are good enough. How we long to know that we are loved just as we are. How we long to know that no matter what others say about us, there is one who holds us and carries us and keeps us safe in his bosom. Last evening, Heidi and I had this wonderful delight of being with Jacob and Sarah and Ezra. And Ezra's about 16, 17 months now, and he came over and sat on the couch beside me, and I just put my arm around him, and I just thought, what a wonderful, what a wonderful feeling it must be to know that you're surrounded by love. Pappy's love, Grammy's love, mom and daddy's love, that, that there is this safe space that you are just held. In fact, when we got there last night, it was kind of funny. We held him both, and he looked away from his parents. He wouldn't look at them, and he was very sober. And we figured out that he thought we were going to leave. They were, his parents were going to leave and leave them with us, leave him with us. He wasn't complaining or crying, but he was very sober. And then we sat down, and we started playing, and suddenly Ezra comes to life. He realizes there's no danger here, not that there would have been danger anyway. But in his little heart and mind, what's it going to mean if mommy and daddy leave tonight? And I have to stay with Pappy and Grammy. <laughs> and he loosened up and he was warm and he, he's so warm and so kind and so loving. And, he, and again, just sat over there with my arm around him. And, and folks, that's what we all want more than anything else. And that's why he came. So that we could experience that. So that we this morning and we in this season again, it's why I love Christmas and Advent so much. It's these 30 days of recognizing that in our darkness, in the darkness of this year, which has been a very dark year, we are loved. We are held on that couch and our, God's arm is around us and he's holding us tight and there ain't nothing going to touch us. And it doesn't matter what others say about us. It doesn't matter what others do to us. The psalmist over and over again says, you are a shield around me. You protect me. You hold me. You receive me as I am. You love me. 
And so Luke gives us seven verses of Jesus' birth. But then before we know it, he's off to the hillside where he tells us that an angel appeared and announced that Jesus had been born to a group of shepherds watching over their flocks. Do not be afraid. I bring you tidings of good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be your sign. You will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. And then this lone angel is joined by this host of heaven saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. One of the things that this passage clearly teaches us is that Christ, it is Christ and the good news of forgiveness and grace that brings us near to him. This word is for us today, regardless of what this year has been like, regardless of what the uncertainties of the coming year are going to be. This word is for us now. It is an eternal word. It will continue for you and for me as long as we have life. And then we'll go on, for those of us who know Jesus, to be with him forever. This word is for us for eternity. I'd like you for a moment just to sit with these words. You can close your eyes if you want or just sit there. But in silence, thinking about this year, thinking about what you've walked through, thinking about what your fears have been, what your anxieties have been, what your doubts have been, thinking about the darkness that perhaps you've walked in. Just think for a moment. But as you're thinking about those things, allow yourself to experience God's arm around you. Allow yourself in this moment to appreciate and to receive that arm wrapping himself around you this morning and holding you. Do you know that you are favored by God? Do you personally hear his words this morning? Do not be afraid. Do you hear this truth? That his kingdom, his rule, his reign, his order, his peace has come for you. Not for somebody else, for them too, but for you this morning. Again, I wonder if Luke spends so much time on this story because he wants us to understand that from the very beginning, Jesus was different than any other king. He was a king for the entire world, not for just one monarchy, not for just one country, but for the entire world that God so loved and so loves still. But when I've preached from this mass passage in the past or read it, I, I've always been more intrigued with the message than with the shepherd's response. But it's this year that I'm intrigued with the shepherd's response. What do we have to learn from the shepherds and the way they responded to Jesus coming? And I've already hinted at that a bit. And I just want to say this message isn't about guilt or condemnation or criticism about how you've responded in the past and other Christmases, other Advents. Rather, it's an opportunity to again meet Jesus. To again meet Jesus without, with knowing that he doesn't shame you, that he doesn't condemn you, that he doesn't criticize you but that he receives you. He's just waiting for us to show up at the manger. 
He's just waiting for us to show up with him. What do we learn from the shepherd's response? Number one, the angel leaves them with a hint. By the way, he says to the shepherds, or she says to the shepherds, or it says to the shepherds, can you, you can find this child wrapped in claws, lying in a manger. So he tells them what to expect. It's, not, it's a not-so-subtle invitation to go find this Christ child. Here's who he is now. This is where you will find him. And folks, again, he is just waiting for us to be found this Christmas. The Apostle John tells us in the book of Revelation that the worst of the seven churches is the church of Laodicea. The worst of the seven, that lukewarm church that Jesus threatens to spit out of his mouth. And yet it's to that church, as I've said in the past, that he stands saying, behold, I stand here. I'm not going anywhere. You might want to run from me, but I'm not going to run from you. I'm going nowhere. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and I'm just waiting for your invitation. But an invitation it does require. Back to Rufus Jones. To meet Jesus requires we take a step towards Jesus. From the very beginning, Jesus wanted us to be looking for him and to be understanding that he is not hard to find. Number two, I'm intrigued with how the shepherds took the message of the angels so seriously that they started to talk with one another about what they had experienced. They could have denied what they had experienced. They could have said, we're just having hallucinations. They could have been too embarrassed as these uh, men on the hillside to talk about what they had seen. But they began to talk with one another and began to share their stories of what they heard and saw. And I just want to say to us this, this Christmas season, this is the time to talk with one another about Jesus. This is another opportunity. It's why I love the tradition of Advent. It's this extended period of time to talk about Jesus, to sing about Jesus, to sing about Jesus' birth, to sing about Jesus' coming, to, to talk with one another about our stories of Jesus. Because when I tell you my story of Jesus, it strengthens your story. And when I hear your story, it strengthens my story. It reinforces them. Our stories become more real. Jesus becomes more real to us. These grown men were not too embarrassed to talk about the crazy things they had just experienced on the hillside that evening. How have you experienced Jesus this year? That's not a question of condemnation or criticism. It's just a real question. Have you experienced Jesus this year? Have you, have you sensed Jesus with you this year? Have you claimed the promises of Jesus being with you this year? Can you talk with someone about how you've experienced Jesus, whether it's a spouse or a friend or your children? Or might you even just journal about it? Because when we get these things out of our heads and out of our hearts, they become more real to us, even if we're just telling ourselves the story. That Jesus has come for us. That Jesus wraps his arm around us and holds us. Number three, I wonder what happened to the sheep that night. I wonder what happened to the sheep that night. Luke doesn't record anything about those sheep. Suddenly, what had been so important to the shepherds, what took them out onto the hillside, wasn't important anymore. Suddenly, the very thing that took them there seemed irrelevant compared to finding this Jesus. And I wonder about us this Advent and Christmas. What might be so important to us right now, but that we just for at least a moment need to leave behind? What might be so important preoccupying perhaps our mind, and perhaps it's anxiety, perhaps it's worry, Perhaps it's filling space with things that just aren't matter, that, that just don't matter, that seem irrelevant. One of the things about COVID-19 and this pandemic is that stuff that seemed so relevant before, like sports, 
just for me seem very irrelevant right now. And I suspect there are other things for you as well that just, just don't seem to matter in this moment. And I think that's the way it was for the shepherds on the hillside. Suddenly, what mattered in their everyday lives no longer mattered in the sacred moment when Jesus showed up. So I'd like you to encourage you to think about that. What might you need to leave behind, at least for a bit, to spend some time with Jesus? Number four, the shepherds, after seeing Jesus, then tell the story to other people. They spread the word about the child, and people who heard the word about this child were amazed. Folks, if we have met Jesus, we will have a story to tell. If we have met Jesus, we will have a story to tell. And it will be a story that will amaze other people. And if you don't feel like you have a story, I'm not standing here criticizing you, condemning you, shaming you. I'm just saying, go meet Jesus this Christmas. Just go meet Jesus as you are. Spend, and when I say meet Jesus, I'm talking about spending some time with Jesus. Opening your life to Jesus. Maybe it's about reading some of the gospel stories again. Maybe it's about just sitting in Jesus' presence. I love how Steve Keener once described to me that his time with the Lord is so much just about sitting with Jesus. About just hearing what Jesus has to say. It doesn't have to be complicated. We've made it complicated, but running to the manger isn't complicated. Holding Ezra on the couch isn't complicated. It's just being there with Jesus. And I've got to tell you, sometimes when I'm there early in the morning, I drift in and out of my sleep. And that's okay. Jesus knows I probably need some sleep. But there are these wonderful moments then when I'm awakened when he shows up and meets me. And there's a peace that comes in just being in his presence because he will not leave us alone to wait for him. When we come to him, he comes to us because he's been waiting for us. It's not tricky. It's not, it's not, it's not complicated. We have less than three weeks till the coming of Christ. The value of Advent is it gives us time to prepare our hearts for his coming again. And there is still time for you and me to prepare, no matter whether we have up to this point or not. And again, this isn't about criticizing you or condemning you whether you have or not. It's just this invitation to come to the manger to meet Jesus. But the choice is ours. Will we celebrate the first seven verses of Luke only? and disregard the other 13 that follow? Will we just celebrate this great coming of the king? Or will we engage in it? Will we join it? Will we join this great drama, this great story? Will we become part of it and rush to Jesus with our deepest insecurities about who we are and what our worth is and what our value is and allow him to assure us that he loves us, that he holds us, that we are safe and secure no matter what this year held and no matter what next year holds? That he is not going anywhere. He has come now, and as he said to his disciples in John 14, I will not leave you as orphans. I am with you now. I've got you now. I'm holding you now. This Christmas is another opportunity to hear and experience and sit with the words of Ephesians 3 that Paul says, we are loved with a love that is deeper and wider and higher and longer than any other love we've ever experienced. Again, I talk so often about a life with God, but I'm going to give you a language that I've used before, but that has helped me. It's the language of, 
It's what my spiritual director says to me when, when a question emerges that I'm wrestling with about God. Just, just go to God, he says, and sit with that. Sit with that question with God. And I love that language. It's, it's this just coming to God and saying, God, I don't know the answer to this question. Or I'm struggling with this. Or I'm dealing with this. I don't have the answer. Can you, can you give me the answer? And sit there with him. And, he, and it may be clear to you in that moment. It may be clear later. But sit with him. Rest with him. Look to him, not to others, for the answers to your deepest needs. I think that's part of the point of this whole story this morning. Uh, this, and, and this, this message. So, we'll, so the question for us as I close is, will we join the shepherds this Christmas in getting out of the fields? In getting out of the fields, out of the places we usually hang out, out of the places where we usually spend our time, and run to the manger to meet Jesus. That may not be a literal leaving the fields, but it can be a spiritual leaving of the fields, a leaving of those things that we have put our trust in, our confidence in, our time in, and coming to Jesus. Will we stop just talking about how wonderful it is that Jesus came and get on with meeting Jesus, this one our hearts most long for? And if you answer yes to this, what's it look like? And I've got some suggestions for you, but you can also, you know, um, with the Lord, figure these out. But um, maybe it's reading a devotional this Advent season or listening to a devotional that leads you to Jesus, that leads you to his coming. Doing something out of the ordinary in your time with God. Or if you've not spent time with God, trying that again with a devotional or Advent readings or listening to a devotional. Maybe it's about spending time in the scriptures you haven't been spending much time in. And one of the things, again, that I, that I typically do during a week is spend every day in one psalm for that entire week. And it's amazing when you do that year after year, how those psalms form you over time, how they shape you, how they come back to you when you need them. I don't typically memorize them, but they, they somehow enter our hearts when we do that. So part of sitting with God is sitting with his word, sitting with the scripture, just, just sitting there. Maybe it's just one verse. Maybe it's, it's John 1.14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. But what is the scripture that this season you're just going to allow yourself to rest in? And to allow God to speak to you through. Maybe it's listening to music that leads you back to Christ. It's a wonderful thing about music. It leads us somewhere. It's always going to lead our soul somewhere. It's what music does. Are you listening to music this season that leads you to Christ? Maybe it's as a family or a couple or an individual having an Advent wreath like we have here. And later, this, this, later today, spending time with your family or your spouse or alone reading a scripture from Christmas or the Advent season and lighting a candle and just spending some time reflecting on what this season means to you. And maybe it's reading the Luke 2 story with your children every night until Christmas Day or another scripture. But the response of the shepherds was an active response. They did something. They didn't just listen to the, to the angels and then say, okay, sheep, let's get on with it. No, they left their sheep and they acted upon what they heard. The question for us this Christmas, I think, is how are we going to act upon this wonderful, wonderful news? Folks, this is the best news humanity has ever heard. Hands down, the coming of God to us is the best news we have ever heard. And it doesn't get old. Because every day I need this news. Every week I need this news. Every month I need For the rest of my life, I need to hear this news that God so loved the world that he came for all of us.
But the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full in grace and truth. And as the book of Hebrews says, the author of Hebrews says, He was the exact representation of God. The exact representation of God came to us in flesh, lying in a manger, and invites us still to join Him. So often this time of year, we complain that we're so busy. We've got so much to do. Well, folks, if there's any year that the week may not have that excuse, it's this year. It's one of the blessings for at least some of us that there's a little more space. So now this year is the time, if ever there was, to leave the hillside and go find Jesus. And you will find he has been waiting for you. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful that you have come for us, that you have come to us, that you have come to be with us, that that's the good news, that you are waiting there. It's like sitting on the couch waiting for us to come over and for you to put your arm around us. And I want to thank you that the first thing you do when you see us is receive us. There's a lot of stuff you want to straighten out in our lives, but that's not what you do first. What you do first is embrace us. What you do first is love us as we are. What you do first is receive us as your good children who you created and said, you are good. We thank you that your goodness flows over us this season. We pray for one another. We pray for those who are not present this morning in the sanctuary. We pray for our community. We pray for our country. We pray for this world. We pray for friends in in Central America who've been devastated by hurricanes. We think of so many who are on the edge of unemployment and not knowing what is next for them. God, we, we are. We think of all of those who are, are ill right now from COVID-19. We think of many folks in, older, in, in retirement communities who are ill and who are dying. We think of on and on and on the darkness of this moment. But we thank you that it was in a dark moment like this that you came, that you showed up, and your showing up was about us about us receiving your love. And so this Christmas, may we in new ways in the dark understand what the light is and what it means for us and for the world. In Jesus' name, amen. On song? Okay, Kate? All right, thank you. Thank you, Conrad. Um, Lord, I just pray that you would help us all to draw near to you in this next season. In Jesus' name, amen.
you are dismissed. <laughs>